again, and welcome to the Les Represent podcast, the podcast where we talk about anything and everything uh, lesbian and lady loving queer, our experiences, our stories, just anything, absolutely anything that comes to mind. I apologize for the sound quality. Uh, today I'm in a different room because it is not wise to turn off the AC to talk to someone, but since I'm talking to someone over the pond, I will have to make allowances to go to the time zone. So, ugh. We've been doing this for like so long and it's this has been like nine months in the making thanks to technical difficulties and time zone issues, but I'm so happy you're here. <laughs> so am I finally. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, so introduce everybody. Tell us about your life, everything, starting from when you were a tiny child. I'm joking, we'll get to that part later. Uh, but... <laughs> so, uh, yeah, don't worry. I, I, I would have cut you right off there, no, you're not knowing any of that. I don't even think about most of that. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're um I'm Kathy and I'm the woman behind One Girl and Her Tools and um yeah um I'm a Brit obviously although I do like the distinction between British and English so I would describe myself as an English woman um so yeah hello, hello. and um I went actually I was trying to think actually yesterday how we came in contact and I can't even remember now it seems so long ago now <laughs> it has been that we've literally you were probably the second person I tried to do an interview with and every time the technology would just fail and fail and fail and it's, yeah. just, it's been a growing it's process kind of, in a way though it's kind of serendipitous, serendipitous because it, it meant that we've spent all this time becoming friends now so it doesn't feel you know uncomfortable um sitting chatting to you you know what I mean because we've had that conversations over Twitter and, and kind of got to know each other a little bit better. I think, I think, I think how we met was we were talking about long distance relationships. I think this is back when me and my wife did a long distance relationship uh, podcast that I unfortunately right. had to erase because the quality was awful where we talked about how we met and stuff and you were like, hey, you know, I also have a girl back in the States, and I was just like, tell me about your life. Right, yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. I don't know. Yeah, it seems like a long time ago. I'm, I'm trying to remember, but I think it was, oh, anyway, what time between friends. Um, but yeah, so long distance relationships, yeah. With an American, don't even start me going, honestly. <laughs> I would, if you told me, right, before I met my girlfriend, that I would be in love, not only would I be in love with an American, but that I would be in a long-distance relationship with an American, which means, for me, personally, thousands of pounds in air flight. <laughs> you know, what, what am I going to do for work? What am I going to... What is going on? My life is upside down right now. I, Fantastically upside down. Uh, yeah. I completely, and I'm I happy completely understand. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, you, you met your wife long-distance, didn't you? Yeah, she was in Canada at the time, but yeah, she was she was still that unattainable distance away for a while until we were just like, that's it, this, we can't do this anymore. And you, you and your your honey bun are a lot stronger than we are because we we couldn't stay apart for that long. Oh, I don't know if we're strong or just poor. You know, we <laughs> just can't. We're, we've got so much, so many strains on our on our finances um, that we can't um, just we just can't even think about it because immigration is expensive. You know, oh my and it's freaking god! Oh my god! 
I've gone through, she's got a child, so that's a dependent, you know, and you've got to keep a certain amount of income coming in and stuff. And to be a good candidate for England, she'd have to earn a certain amount of, you know, there's a, a kind of a bar for wages. Um, they want people that are coming in, not only support themselves, but also the people that they're coming in to sponsor, me, would have to also command a certain wage in order to satisfy immigration. Um, but um, but having changed my my career path a few years ago, I don't have that level anymore. I kind of I get by. I'm not poor, but I um I don't have the reach the bar the requirements for that. Not at the moment, I don't. But I'm optimistic. I think that's one of the things I was going to say actually um, earlier is we're both optim optimists. Otherwise, you know, you, you you say you weren't strong enough. You know, you guys just had to together but actually I think anyone that engages and just begins a, a long distance relationship is an optimist I think at heart. I completely agree with that. I completely agree with that because it's just it's a whole new level of trust of of love and just determination to be with each other and it also opens up a completely new line of communication you you hardly even knew existed the kind where you yeah. like have to talk to each other almost every day. Yeah, well, there's no almost. You have to. Exactly. Um, uh, well, at least we uh, we we do. Um, we are. Um, we were a year together last February, so we're somewhere like eighteen months. It's killing me because I can't remember exactly that many. But you know, I have a terrible memory. <laughs> so I'm yeah. claiming that. Um, and uh, it's. It, I'm not really sure. What I'm trying to say it's it's, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard work. But, I I mean, like I say, I was saying at the beginning, I I never would have imagined I had this in me. You know, the lines of communication for one, talking every day to somebody. I don't talk to my best friend every day. Right? I don't speak on the phone for lengths of time, but suddenly I'm having three-hour conversations and I have to speak to this woman every day. And it's I mean... It's beautiful. You never get sick of it. You never get sick. No. I'm, I'm still in the baffled stage. You've obviously got good with it. That was it. Cupid came in, hit you over the head with his bow and dragged you off and you were fine about it. I'm still going, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. I, I had a life. Like, you know, I had everything was going really well. You know, I had a new career. I had friends. I was building a new uh, friendship group after moving away from where I'd lived for 10 years to, to be near my family. And uh, my family were all there. We were having regular, you know, dinners and activities together. Life was good, you know. I even started playing hockey again, field hockey again, which I hadn't done for 10 years. Um, I'd given up smoking, which, believe me, was the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life because I smoked for 25 years. Um, so my hat is off to anybody who can kick nicotine. It is hard. I don't know if it's true that it's as hard as heroin, because I've never tried to give up heroin, I've never tried heroin, but it's hard to give up nicotine, and I did that, so everything was good, and then all of a sudden, life went, uh-uh, it can be better, <laughs> and there she was, and the rest, as they say, is, is just history, because the rest is a new chapter altogether, when you talk about chapters in your life, periods in your life. This was literally the turning of a page because my life is completely transformed to what it was when I'm when we met. So and it, it 
when I hear people say that sometimes I feel a little bit anxious because I think, well, that's kind of codependent and you, you've sacrificed everything you've worked for, what you've just talked about is the good life, basically coming and going to a long distance relationship, you know, so but there's many women in the world, you know, I, I get a little bit cynical, although I like to be an optimist, I'd love to be, I'm actually pretty pragmatic. And looking at this at the beginning, I was like, no, what am I doing? This is crazy. This is literally the definition of crazy if you were bipolar. You know, you drop your life and you go crazily after somebody that you love um, and held to the consequences. Um, but actually, this is this is something that's um, quite controlled. You know, it's, what are we, 18 months later? And we're still just as in love as we were when we met. And... I'm, uh, it's really hard being apart from her, I'm not going to lie. Every time we leave, every time we separate, it's harder. It gets harder. But the practicalities are, right now, <clears throat> I couldn't emigrate if I wanted to. I've got too much going on right now. Not to mention um, the political <clears throat> situation here is not the best. Well, yeah. I mean, uh. I, I, I don't like to harp on too much about politics, and I, and I certainly don't like to harp on to the embarrassing fact that I used to be quite an American hater. And I've been re-educated. Um, <laughs> I mean, the last time we talked, we we spent an entire hour just talking about politics that we swore yeah. we were not going to talk about. <laughs> yeah, 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 we did. But I'm I'm actually quite I I I I don't really think that it's something that that us mere mortals can solve um, just by you know stating the obvious. The fact is, systems don't work. They don't work in this country, and they don't work in your country. Um, but people are reluctant to change, and so we we, we trundle on with the same political structure, knowing it's not working. Mm -hmm. uh, and 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 I'm just a mere mortal. I don't know how to fix those things. I'm just an observer. I just live in it. I don't know how to fix it. Blatantly put my hands up. I don't know what the solution is. But um, I just know that it's wrong. And. I think there is a way of living in countries that aren't brilliant in that respect. You guys are testament to that. You live in a very conservative environment, really. Um, I was listening to one of your previous podcasts where you talked about um, where you live and how restricted you feel. Um, and that anecdote that you tell about how you were over the moon about the uh, cute names that your wife was able to call you. <laughs> quite comfort and I, I take that for granted you know I take that for granted I really do it's it's something that I don't have to worry about too much I live in an environment that's pretty 50 50 when it comes to that and I wouldn't even say it's 50 50 I think the majority of people don't actually care you know that it, where I live they've actually got further things to do than to be worried about whether who I'm speaking and, some, and sometimes I wonder how life would be with me and my wife if I had gone to England instead of her coming here like what would have been the difference other than the fact that I'm sure I would have had a hell of a time finding a job over there because there's never an end to my wife coming off the phone with her parents and talking about how the job situation's awful because she's a younger sister that's figuring herself out and but I, I sometimes wonder what it would have been like if I went over there instead of her coming over here yeah and I don't know I don't know how that would have gone probably would have learned to drive on the other side of the road. I mean, I probably would have been just as bad as it over there as I am over here. Oh, <laughs> but... well, yeah. 
you're a bad driver, you're a bad driver. I definitely, that is definitely true, I'm afraid. I'm sorry. <laughs> I would not have a license. I would find a way to walk to work. I think that might be actual doable. No, you see, the advantage that we have in this country over you guys in America, from what I've experienced with America. Oh, my God. There's no lot. It's a big country. But when, when it comes to if not wanting to drive a car, we have the advantage because we have not a brilliant transport system, and they've been privatised. They used to be publicly owned companies, which didn't work really well, but then we had a government that sold them off, and that hasn't worked out well either. But the fact is the structure is there. So we have buses stopping at the end of each road. We have trains going to most of the locations that you need to get to airport-wise. So when you guys come, I mean, you guys don't think nothing of driving five hours for a, you know, going to somewhere. We get on a plane for five hours. You don't you, for a five-hour five car journey. The English will get on a plane for an hour or half an hour and just hop it on a plane. <laughs> Nobody does that. Like you know, like she she said to me, "Oh, we're going to drive to such and such," and it's like five and a half hours. I was like, "What? Oh my god! You're going to have to take bedding and clothes and supplies." And that's, that's like an epic journey, water barrels, petrol, you know, um, <laughs> take it in turns to drive, maybe find somewhere to stay. That was hilarious. Like an, and it's like an ex, expedition. I mean, I have done long journeys in the UK and I've done them across Europe, but it just seems so normal to her. I said to her, you've got to understand that, you know, I mean, I, I've been a, I was a motorcyclist for a very long time. I've only driven a car for about four years, five years. Um, so I look at it that way because I could never drive, ride my motorcycle for more than an hour, an hour and a half before my wrist started to ache and I have to get off the bike and walk around, um, have a coffee, have a cigarette then, um, and then get back on. So when I got my car and suddenly I could drive two, three hours at a go, I was getting tired and sort of like, oh no, I've got to stop for a coffee. I'm going three hours, but I've got to stop for a coffee halfway, you know, stretch my legs, make sure I'm safe to drive and everything. And there's her doing five, not only does she do five and a half hours, she stops for a few hours, has some coffee, and then comes back. I know. Like, Why would you drive five hours what? just to do coffee? That that part sounds insane to me. Well, no, like, she drives, she, to be fair, she drives to pick her child up from where she stays during the summer. So she's driving to pick the kid up and bring her back home. But stay the night. Like, why? And she's all like, oh, no, it's fine. We always do it. It's not a problem. Blah, blah, blah. Unbelievable. Um, I just couldn't believe it. But the other thing I found about, we went, we did do that particular road trip this year, which we hadn't done before. Um, and it involved driving from um, somewhere at, just outside Atlanta. My geography is terrible, so I'm not even going to try and say north, south, east, west, because I'll get it wrong and I'll get a phone call. <laughs> I got it wrong. So somewhere around the Atlanta area, roughly about an hour from the center, we then set off to uh, Charleston, South Carolina. So it for me, it was a really epic journey because I was not used to long road journeys like that. The longest I used to do was three and a half hours, and that was up to Liverpool, from London to Liverpool, um, to see my grandparents once a year or twice a year, depending on what the school holidays were when I was a kid. So to do this journey was really like, I had to get the right pillow, make sure it kept any listeners, get my CDs, so I've got all my music, like have my cold drinks and then stop for a hot coffee. <laughs> had it all planned out. Um, and she's like, why are you being a weirdo? Oh I'm God. not. It's only English travel, okay? 
<laughs> kind of travel and luxury. Um, but, but anyway, that, that's, that is kind of crazy. And it's so funny because me and, me and my wife were literally just talking the other day about the logistics of us driving 18 hours to go to a show with a trailer and a horse. And I was just like, and people don't even like driving an hour. Well, you put a horse on a plane, these days. That's expensive. I don't have money for that. Yeah, do you know, how much, that, co- do you know how much it costs to put a horse on a plane? I've no idea. I'm picturing a horse on a plane now, asking for its second cup of uh, glass of champagne <laughs> while I'm packed home. So I've, I've just got this racehorse image in my head. Um, no, I've no idea. I mean, I know it costs thousands to send me, so no, I've no idea. But 18 hours. It's insane. Oh. It's insanity. And that's, it's just something that's going to happen. It, well, granted, if I go do that trip by myself, I'm taking a plane because I don't want to drive 18 hours to get there and 18 hours back. I will not make it. I've drove up to uh, Niagara Falls once and it had nearly destroyed me. And I did not take breaks that time. I was going to say, you took breaks this time though, right? With the horse and that. Surely the horse has oh, got to get yeah. out and the rest. You, you kind of have to. I think, I think the farthest we drove was up to Colorado and that still took 14 hours with a trailer. And even then you have to like let the horse rest because it's standing up the entire time. Like, right, yeah. And like, it's not comfortable, is it? Because it's moving around. It knows it's in motion, in motion, but it's not quite sure how. Yeah. No. <laughs> That's just madness. Going to Colorado, it was gorgeous. It was beautiful. I wish oh. we went every year. It, it was kind of worth it. Um, it was very nerve-wracking and very scary because trailers are scary. Uh, but back to the motorcycle conversation, there are people who do like, like cross-country journeys on motorcycles. And now that I'm thinking about it, I don't understand how they do that. No, I don't know how anybody rides a motorcycle for more than an hour and a half but then I guess I'm just a, a wimp you know I'm, and, and the older I got the reason I gave up motorcycling in, in a way was because I got I got too old for it in a way My, I just felt like oh I can't be bothered with this anymore I've got to put all this clothing and I've got to put special boots on I've got to put waterproof non-rip protective gear onto my legs over my trousers well my pants you would say um, and then I've got to put a big heavy jacket on, which to be fair, mine was Gore-Tex, so it did breathe, but only when the bike was in motion. So it used to have like these air pockets that used to be great when you drive along, you've got air conditioning, but as soon as you stopped, the heat would hit you like a, like a wet flannel. Um, and then, then you've got to put a helmet on top of all of that and gloves. And in the, in the summer, you just cook like a, like a, a, a baked potato inside a, a wrapping of foil. You just cook. And then, in the in the winter, you have it wind chill that affects your joints. So my and I have problems with my joints anyway, and I've had several accidents, um, not big accidents, just big enough to injure my digits a little bit. Um, mm. And um, I feel the cold in my hands and my knees now. So I kind of I gave it up, but I I never I I'm, I never rode more than an hour and a half. I just had to stretch my legs. I just don't know, even know how someone sits in that position. Especially if when you're on a on like the bikes that I used to ride, um, when your accelerator is in a, in full throttle, you're you've got one arm that basically can't move. It's sat onto the accelerator, uh, um, holding the tension in the accelerator while while you know you can move your other arm to kind of stretch it out and whatever while you're going. If you're not going more than sixty miles an hour, seventy miles an hour, it's all right. But if you're going much faster than that, incidentally, it feels like the bike's going to kick you off. 
because it's it's so fast you're literally holding on so when i stopped after i've been doing like motorway driving or highway driving as you would call it i have literally have to like kind of like the tin man kind of stretch out my legs and my arms and kind of get them moving again because i've been holding on for dear life especially some of the race bikes that i rode um in my 20s because they they were never happy with me because they never got to do the miles that they could have done um i used them for little rip arounds in, in central london and really they should have been out on the open road and being opened up but yeah they were um got me noticed and now i think that was one of the things i was a bit of a poser when i was in my 20s so i think that was more <laughs> than comfort but now it's comfort i'm in my nice car i've got my air con for the summer my heating for the winter off oh, that heating i love my car heating it's the best ever I, um, thank you for reminding me why I will never ride a motorcycle. It's just, <laughs> I'm not that person. I like to have a roof over my head. I I could blame that on an accident I actually had when I was younger. I was, like, in the back of a buggy, like, we called it a mule. So it's like an ATV. I don't know how to explain this. I and know what they are, yeah. Yeah, and it flipped, and I broke my collarbone on it because I was sitting in the oh, back of it. Because wow. people are intelligent, especially in the South, where they let their children just do whatever they want, which means driving in a vehicle that's meant for two people with six of their friends and yeah i i ever since then i haven't been able to sit in the back of a car properly and enjoy myself like in where there's no hood at all and yeah even before then i don't think i appreciated the idea that i could literally fall and touch that pavement if i just wasn't holding on right so i'm just it's not for me, you know. Some things just yeah, aren't for I people. Yeah, I totally understand that. You can, you've definitely got yourself a little, uh, a little bit of trauma there from that accident, I reckon, because either that or I'm just too stupid to learn because I've hit the concrete several times. Either, yeah. I speak from experience. Watching my wife, you guys are just made out of something else that Americans <laughs> are not. Yes, yeah, she's told me stories. Bigger doses dosy. We've got bigger doses of stupid. You just don't notice because we hide it. <laughs> She she told me a story of how her horse stepped on her foot and broke it in the middle yeah. of summer. Like it broke yeah. three of her toes and she just kept walking. She just kept working. She was like, whatever. She's like, what yeah. is the doctor going to do? Wrap it up. It's fine. It's whatever. And I'm just like, you yeah. broke your toe. I've done the same. Yeah, I've done the same. I've, you know, playing hockey. I've had a hockey, broke my toe, carried on playing the game. Uh, I had one in the chest, um, cracked my wrist. Ooh. You just play. You just get on with it. Whatever you're supposed to be doing. What are you guys um, made out of? <laughs> I, I put it down to the fluoride they put in the water when we were kids in the 80s, I reckon. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, it's it's crazy. It's it's absolutely crazy. Like, uh, my wife, she will just, like, she'll take so much, and then she won't even, like, flinch. Like, she'll just be like, the. I know the posters are, like, a huge thing. It's even the trend has come over to the country, but the whole, like, keep strong, carry on. It's crazy. Like I feel like I didn't know it was your guys's life. Yeah, keep calm, carry on. Yeah, it's it's a kind of I guess you could say it's a next generation of stiff upper lip and all that, where they used to say you know you just kind of grin and bear it and get on with it. Um, there is some kind, there is a kind of an English thing to do with that where you just you grit your teeth and you get on with it because what choice have you got? You know, you may as well just do it. The time it takes you to sit there and bits and moan about it, you could have done it. So just do it, you know. And it kind of, you know, if you're injured or you've got and you've got something to do, you've still got something to do. 
when you're injured, so you may as well just finish it and then deal with it. <laughs> as long as you're not pouring blood over everything, it's fine. Just get on with it. Oh my god. <laughs> I just, I wish I could have raising it takes to have that kind of backbone, but I don't have it. And oh, I, I would be, I would be. Like piles of abuse, mate. Piles of abuse. Yeah, I'm plenty so... of battering slippers and the cane and, you know, locking us in cupboards and, you know, oh my not gosh. up the days. Sticking us up the chimneys, you know, it's, it's, um, I'm joking, I'm joking. I was never, none of that ever happened in my life, just to be clear, I'm kind of quoting Oliver. Oh god, I lost my train of thought. We got a little off topic. Actually, I know what your guys' weakness is. I know it, like, you're built differently, but I know your weakness, and your weakness is the heat. You can't take the heat. Uh, yeah, I would, I would, yeah. Yeah, I would argue no one likes taking the heat, so, but at the same no, time. Well, yeah, 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 I'm with that too. But I, I feel I have a little bit of a mixed heritage, so I I really quite enjoy the heat. But what? what we, yeah, but, and, and that's the thing that my girlfriend can't get over because I'm constantly complaining about being cold. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, but outside it's 93 degrees. I'm not putting the AC up. I thought, well, okay, well, I'm just going to sit here in a jumper and slippers uh, with a blanket over me, like I'm 63 years old and I've got arthritis. <laughs> you know, like, why? Why am I cold in the house? It doesn't make sense. It's not winter. It's lovely and warm outside. Let some of that warmth in. She won't do it. Absolutely not. Do you know how high your it. AC I'm... bill goes if you do that? It's crazy here. Like, it, the, the electric companies know when it's hot and they're just like, I'm just going to make your rates go up like 50%. They know it. They know well, it. I... I don't, I don't care if the AC's on. I don't want it on. She wants it on, and she wants the fan on, and um, and I, I'm cold. <laughs> I want, <laughs> I don't like being cold. You live um, in the wrong I, country if you don't like being cold. Well, yeah, right. But I'm, I think it, I'm pretty adaptable. I've, I've spent a lot of time in the Mediterranean. It's not like a completely foreign concept to me. Unlike a lot of English people who have never left the country, um, or have only ever experienced heat. Um, to, you know, sort of over the mid-80s, on a rare occasion, which we tend to call heat wave. Anything over 80 degrees for a prolonged period of time, like two days, is called a heat wave in this country. And there's immediately a hose ban, which means you can't water your garden or your lawn, so it all dies. Um, and then we have, like, six weeks of rain. Yeah. Um, and, and it bitches and, moaning and, and moans. And then it becomes November and everything freezes, and then we moan about that. That's one thing we are good at. We're good at moaning. Maybe that's how we just get on with it because we vocalize, I don't know. Uh, I think everyone bitches about the weather. There's there's no not bitching. I'm The only people I've ever known in my life who do not bitch about the weather are probably the people in California because there's a certain area of California that's like the same temperature all year round, which I might be over-exaggerating, really? but I'm just like, yeah, there's a place on the coast in California where it's like 74 degrees every day, all day, no matter what time of the year you're in. And as far as I know, oh, they grow strawberries crazy. there. It's as far as I know. Oh wow! I know. I've I've heard I've heard people talk about how it's so disarming there. Like it's just like there's never any chaos to the point that you're paranoid that something's gonna happen. Right. Right. And that's it's yeah, interesting it to hear people talk about. Granted, in California, they're actually having a really bad heat wave right now, and I'm very surprised to hear that. It's like hotter over there now than it is in Texas, and I was like, what? Yeah, actually, a couple of my friends on Instagram um, 
have sent me messages saying something like, you know, 110 degrees and what have you. And, and it, that, I can't even imagine that. I've, I've experienced 100 degrees a couple of times, but only a couple of times and only for very short periods. I can't imagine prolonged heat like that where one of your like main death. objectives during the day is to stay alive while you're doing whatever you normally would do, you know? Um, my as much as it gets hot and cold in this country, it's never really life threatening. At least not for me, because I'm in reasonable health and I'm, you know, reasonably fit. So, um, but to be in a, a part of the suddenly have your part of the world become dangerous, you know, <laughs> you can't leave your kids or your dog or anything in the car. You can't you, you can't be without fluids for an amount of hours because you're going to die, you know. The roads melting. Bins are melting, you know, waste paper bins are melting, dumpsters or whatever are melting. It's, I, I think I saw a thing where some paint was melting off the wall. It was so hot, the paint was actually melting. I couldn't believe it. I, I've never seen oh. uh, anything like that in my, I've never experienced it myself, but it must be horrendous. I mean, it's to try and stay alive in that kind of change thing while you're trying to work. Exist. Imagine being a safe work. I don't understand well, people working that either. Yeah, but I'd, I'll make it a rule not to talk about climate change because that, that brings out the evil in everybody when you start talking about that subject. Oh my gosh, <laughs> like climate change and politics, subject. let you fool find out who your friends no, are. No, no, politics I'll talk about, politics I'll talk about because um, I have an opinion on that, but, but when it comes to climate change and religion, I don't normally talk about those subjects because in my experience, they never go well. Nope. <laughs> and you know, I like to consider you my friend. We have talked for quite some time, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I don't want to change that. For <laughs> <laughs> everybody, <laughs> just trust me. <laughs> I know that I know what you're like, though. This is making you even more curious now, and you're just going to ask me more questions about it. But no, no, no. I'm um, actually, I'm actually going to try to steer the conversation into a better place. Let us talk about how you met your honey bun. Because I love hearing this story. I love hearing stories about how people have met loves in their life. And I, ugh, tell me again. Start from the beginning. Uh, well, it's really simple. I mean, part of it you've already heard. I had, I had, I have this uh, reasonably good life that I've had to build from more or less scratch um, a few years ago. I had a life event that meant that I had to move to near my family and a big thing happened and it was really traumatic and I had to build everything from scratch. I made a complete career change, new apartment, living in a new place, making all new friends. And one of those processes was to reactivate my Facebook page, which I kind of, Facebook can be a, a, a curse and a blessing, you know, and it's one of them places that especially for people like myself who have mental health, not I wouldn't say issues, I have an illness, um, I have better days and worse days, but most of the time I'm well. Um, but it, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, they can be unhealthy places for people who are in vulnerable places. And I, I self-manage my illness with my doctor, and I know when I'm being triggered, so I stay away from various things when I have to. I've been well for a long time, so I thought, right, let's go back into this Facebook. Let's first of all set up all the, you know, blocking, all the ghosts that come up and what have you and move forward so i did and it was kind of i opened up an instagram account and i um was just doing really well and i've met some amazing people so i'm so glad i made that and it just seemed really good it was going in a good place i started the twitter um 
and I joined a few groups on Facebook just to kind of mix up my newsfeed a bit because it was so boring. I was getting the same stuff that I'd got like 10 years ago. Um, and I was just not really interested in seeing any more memes about cats and dogs and whatever. Boring. And I thought, can you get, gay? how can you get bored of memes about cats? Right. I just, I know we're two different people, <laughs> but. Defensive. Defensive. Right? But, now this, she was saying, she's like, what? Bite your tongue. You can never get tired of cat memes. Right? <laughs> yes, you can, darling. I'm allowed my opinion. <laughs> um, I mean, she does like show me some every now and again, and they do make me laugh, but I don't find the need to download them and keep them on my phone, just saying. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I'm not pointing any fingers, but uh, you know who you are. Um, but yeah, it, I, the main thing really was what I was going to say was it, that there was one thing missing from my account that hadn't been there for a long time, um, and that was the gay. There was no gay. Where's the gay? Exactly. Yeah. That's what I say every day. You know, Where is the gay? It, it's all, uh, you know, pictures of photography that I've taken or sports events I've been to or being in, things I'm watching on telly, and talking to my mates, you know, talking to people. But especially now I'm miles away from where I spent 10 years of my life and, and from where I grew up. I've, I've got people that I need to keep in contact with. Facebook was really working well for that. But there was no gay. There was no, you know, I had the odd pride thing. I had joined a local group um, called Isle of White Lesbians and um, become really good friends with a couple of people on there. And um, they said, you know, if we keep in contact through on Facebook, it's easier to network um, people who maybe um, don't necessarily want to be out in, in a club or whatever, and we can meet them up for coffee and they can talk to somebody who's, you know, a like-minded female and not feel judged or not feel like they have to hide that part of their personality or explain that part of their personality, their life. You know, I, I'm a lesbian, but that's only one part of who I am. It's not who I am. It's mm -hmm. part of who I am. And that's, that, that group, really, that ethos of that group, it's a very small group, but we have, you know, quite good connections with each other. Um, and that, that then led to me saying, well, I'll, I'll spread out a bit. You know, like, that's just my local lesbians. You know, that's great. And I'm building some good friendships. But there's a whole world of lesbians out there. You know, let's get some of them memes on my Facebook feed. Yes, please. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know the ones I mean. So um, <laughs> I joined a couple of groups, which um, I won't name necessarily because I don't know if they want me to or not. But um, one of them where I kept seeing the same names pop up. And so as you do, you then engage with those conversations. It will be something like, name your, for us, it was name a, a favourite movie or something, or a line from a favourite movie. Um, and uh, I immediately jumped in with Science of the Land, which is always, well, I'm 40 something years old now, and my Science of the Land has been in my top 10 for I can't count how many years since it came out, basically, because I watched it when it came out. I still it haven't seen that hell movie. Out of me, but, huh? I still haven't seen that movie. But go on. Go on. What? I, what? I don't know. Oh. I know. I'm like. I am. talked about this. I know. I know. This is a cultural reference I'm making now, and it's going straight over your head. Not true. <laughs> I, I am really good at catching uh, pop culture references, <laughs> holding on to them, knowing what movie they came from, and knowing nothing else about the movie. Nice. 
That's no, that is my special well, talent. That's how I continue with conversations without actually knowing all the information. <laughs> you do brilliantly at it. But um but no, seriously, you really must watch that movie at some point because right. it is it's still a classic. I mean I used to be all um uh, you know I used to like movies a lot watch a lot more movies than I do now. I don't really have time to watch too many movies. And I actually personally think they don't make movies great movies as often as they used to make. They them. really don't. Um they do make them, but it's, they're just not as often. They seem to turn out the same old crap all the time now, and it just gets really repetitive. And you you have to go to something like the Cannes Festival or something, you know, that's, that's um, what's what's the one that you had, Sundance? Something um, like that. that I'm pretty sure that's it, though. You have to go there and world cinema to find a decent piece of cinema these days. But um, anyway, that's my old woman moan about cinema. But um, so, yeah, so Silence of the Lambs. And there was a, one particular lady who was from Boston, and I was chatting to her, and she messaged me privately, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'll have a chat with you, blah, blah, blah. And what started happening was I said to her, she said a few things that I didn't understand. So I was like, oh, that, do you use this word for that in English? And she said, all oh, right, cool. And then she said, I want to hear what your accent says. I want to hear your accent. I want to hear you swear in English. And I was like, well, but we're both speaking English. What are you talking about? And she said, yeah, but you've got a specific accent, I bet, because she hadn't heard me speak. Um, and I said, yeah, well, yeah, I suppose I have. I've got a pretty South in- England, South London accent, which, by the way, does get stronger when you're around your people, like you said about your missus. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> and I, and I to my best mates in South London, we're all, all like that, mate, innit? Oh, yeah, you know what I'm saying? And it's, it's really embarrassing. Um, <laughs> and I go, back to, I go back to Queen's English again once I'm off the phone and I'm speaking properly with my telephone voice. Um but uh, where was I going? What was I saying? Um, so, um, yeah, so she said, um, well, I'd really like to hear it. So I sent her a few swears on voice messenger, which just like a voice clip, you know, in the, in, the, in the Facebook messenger. And she sent me one back with her... Um, with her Boston-ass accent, I'm sure. <laughs> Bostonian accent it was, and it was hilarious, right? So we had this back and forth for a couple of weeks, and for every conversation that we had on Facebook, like in, like you know, when there was a meme put up, she'd put something and, and message something, um, and I'd chime in, and we'd have a little bit of banter. Um, and then this other girl come in, and she had a little bit of banter, and there was like two or three of us that kept doing the same banter, and it was really funny because on this particular meme, there was uh, one of these things where it says, "You're you." kidnap somebody in the group who is it and who's your accomplices right so it's one of them plays you know where you get people to interact with each other so i did there's a time difference it's five hour time difference so i've gone to bed i've woke up the next morning and saw all these messages about me being mentioned in this post so i'm like what so i went and had a look and i was apparently kidnapped by this bostonian lady and my now current girlfriend and oh my put God. in the trunk. And the, 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 the conversation was, I said, is it really kidnap if I'm a willing participant? You know? Genuine and then there was a cost then there was a lovely flirty question about she said something about blindfolds and I was like, Meh. I'm not saying no. And then that flirting meant that I thought, mm, who are you? And then I did the the usual thing that you do on Facebook and I Facebook stalked her page. <laughs> uh, not a shame do it all the time don't have that out there if you don't want it seen and I went and had a look and I thought wow and her smile just hit me between the eyes I was like I can't believe 
because you can't really tell from like the profile picture when you're talking to somebody, but when you then go to their page and you see their different pictures of their face, and just you get a proper thing of what they look like. And she was beautiful. She is beautiful. She's gorgeous. Um, yeah. and she knocked me off my feet, and I was like, I got that butterfly feeling. Everything. My stomach fell out. I was like, she's hot. I need to look. <laughs> I'm I'm talking to this girl in Boston, but there's no I friend zoned with her like within the first day because I could feel like there was a bit of flirt going on, and I'm cool with flirting with mates as long as they know it's a mate level; they're not getting anywhere, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I like things. I'm very I like things out there exactly how they are, so I lay it out so there's no confusion. I don't like assumptions. I will just say something obvious sometimes, so everyone knows where it stands, right? Um, so. I messaged her and she messaged me straight back, like almost instantly. And that that was the day that she cancelled our anniversary because from that moment on, there hasn't been a single day that we haven't spoken. Um, and that's yes. where we sent a video to each other. So she'll send me one and I wake up to it in the morning or I've left her one, like I'll leave her one tonight that she'll get later on. Because um, she's driving back from Charleston right now, so she she can't pick up messages. Um, but yeah, that was the start. That was the beginning. And and the the way it kind of started was because I did <laughs> I used the old the reason why I mentioned the accent thing with the Boston lady was because who we're still friends with by the way, um, was because I basically said to her um, that we'd had this conversation about accents. Did you want to hear my accent? And she said to me, the moment she heard my voice, that was it. There was no going back. That was it. That was it. That's, gosh, it's it's so, I love hearing this conversation because I keep drawing parallels between me and my wife's experience. And it kind of started off like that, except that we, we never really got, we didn't get to see each other's face until like a month after we started talking. But I think the first thing, like the first thing that apparently struck her and if she was lost was that we had the same accent, like, quiz test thing basically like an accent test where we sent it there and she was like wow you are so southern and then she got here and she realized I ain't southern as shit (laughs) I do not have a southern accent I am not nearly as charming as she thought I was well I I can say I'm a little charming but not as charming as she thought I was um (laughs) but it was and it's beautiful it's beautiful wow Charming, what she talking about? You're lovely, mate. Don't listen to her. I mean, I am. I'm, we've been married for three years, so I guess I'm losing my edge a little bit. You kind of lose your edge when you get to the point where you know you don't even close the door when you go to the bathroom anymore. Oh so. no, 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 no. See, we ain't never crossing that threshold. That bathroom time's mine, yeah. Don't be thinking <laughs> in the shower. Don't be thinking that you're going to be wandering in on me while I'm in the toilet. No, if I'm in that bathroom, it's my bathroom. I'm not above locking you out. <laughs> you know, like we have this thing because she's like, oh, when are we going to get to the stage where we can just leave the door open? I'm like, because never. Never. <laughs> 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 time. Like, you know, I don't, why do I even, I don't like making eye contact with the cat when it's having a dump in that front room. I'm not having anybody else walk past me with bathroom. No. <laughs> You can call me funny if you like, but I'm standing by that principle. Oh, that's Quite fine. Badly. People have to have their lines somewhere. <laughs> there has to be a line somewhere. Otherwise, like I'm trying to think of any lines that we have that we don't cross, and I, 
oh no, I think we've gone too far. <laughs> I literally, I'm debating um, shouting at her in the other room to figure out if we have a line. And I think we have unfortunately stumbled over each and every one of them. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, I mean, it, three, I don't know what three years of marriage would do to us. I mean, I, I never thought I would get married. So I I don't even I never imagined being in a relationship with somebody and having that familiarity where I'd want to do that. Um, I've had other relationships and stuff like I've never been out with anyone before, but it, this particular relationship that boundary to me seems really important. I suppose I want to reserve a little bit of my mystery <laughs> because it's all been lost. <laughs> oh my we, we opened ourselves up to each other wide open everything was out laid on the table almost the moment we met we have never had any bars held like everything is completely honest and open we talk about everything we show each other everything we, we express every emotion whether it's good or bad and opinions whether they're good or bad and we don't always agree ain't all roses i couldn't be with somebody that it was all roses with personally i need to be called out every now and again and I need to have somebody who will have a debate with me. And I'm not above changing my opinion. If you've got a good reason and you explain it to me and I agree with you, I'm not above changing my opinion. But so I like I invite debate. So if she agrees with me, does think it would be boring as hell. But at the same time, she she respects that I need certain boundaries. Like for instance, she knows that one thing that's difficult for anybody coming in and dating me is the fact that I have uh, a mental health issue, um, and it's something that it's like another person that you've got to learn um as well as the person so it's kind of it's baggage it's baggage but it's baggage i can't ever put down you know i'd love to but it's something that it's, it's a condition that needs to be kept an eye on um on a regular basis because otherwise it creeps up and bites you in the arse and the next thing you know you're sleeping all day and you don't want to talk to anybody and i can't have that I've got too good a thing going in my life right now with everything the way it is, with my friendships, with my work taking off and uh, and this relationship. I can't do that. So she, one thing that she had to understand very early is that a lot of my energy or my thoughts or my processes might be put into that particular management of that person, that illness, um, instead of into her. And, and it's, it's difficult for somebody to come into and accept that because they feel just as passionate she felt just as passionately and does feel as passionately for me as I do for her so it was hard for her to think well why can't you drop whatever it is you're doing and just be like see me as my you know give me your 100% attention um but she quickly adapted much quicker than I anybody had ever done before in my past other than one person um, who's actually my best friend um, and that's another thing about me you don't accept the relationship that I've got with my best friend which is that we're like sisters and we speak every day and we did used to date eons ago when we were both teenagers but there's never been any romance between us in over 20 years so um, we are solid and we come as a package deal like her girlfriends all have to deal with the fact that I'm in her life on her phone all the time and she has to deal with the fact that my bestie's there, you know, my sister from another mister, I call her. <laughs> um, she's there all the time. So, right, 
had to deal with that when she came into, you know, um, the relationship with me. And it's 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 not easy for for people to. It's easy to fall in love. I think it's easy to be, you know, swept away by the moment, the romance of it, the the, the heart pounding, the sweating, the you know, the the tingling, and just thinking, oh, this is amazing. What a feeling. What a rush. Um, but I'm really practical, so. I had to lay these things out for her and make sure that the person, because I could see, I feel myself falling for her the moment I met her. Um, and I had to make sure that she knew that something difficult about me was my mental health and that it needed managing and that she needed to learn that part of me as part of learning of learning of the main three things she had to do, really. Um, I, learning her was easy. She's, she's amazing. Um, but I don't find, I mean, she says she's this quarter time, so yeah, we can all be a bitch, but um, that's one of the downsides to being a lesbian, really. I think it's like the only downside to being a lesbian is the fact that you both are a bitch sometimes at the same time. <laughs> um, and, and there's, you know, <laughs> nothing you can do about it. She goes, yep, it's my period. I'll see you in a day. Goodbye. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Right I, now. I wish we could get to that point, but it's it's at the point where. I'm either on my mother's cycle or my wife's cycle, and either way, it's just like, hmm, <laughs> Kitty, this is not about you. The cat agrees. Uh, she does. She's like, I know, Mom, you guys yeah. are awful. Hell yeah, I'm mad at you when that happens. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're at a part where we have to, like, stomach each other. Like, not, I wouldn't even say stomach each other, but we just have to, like, know the vibe. Like, sometimes we'll get into fights, and we just look at each other, and you can see the moment where each one of us is just asking the other, but without wanting to say it out loud, is, are you on your period right now? Like, because we're fighting over yeah. a bag of chips, and this is not normal for us. Yeah, right. But you see, that's the thing. That's part of an open, um, honest relationship, if you're able to say that. I've been in relationships in the past where that kind of reaction to, to, to would be met with scorn or, or, you know, just, or aggression even. Um, and uh, the, the fact that, you know, you, you, you guys are good friends, and that's at the key I think is to be friends as well as, excuse me, as well as lovers, you know, um, and have those open conversations about difficult things like that. Very true. Very true. Like communication is everything, absolutely everything. And you said, uh, I know we never really touched much on your struggles that you've been coming with lately. I know you had that really awesome documentary on Facebook, which I didn't check in on like enough to to get the whole story unfortunately facebook me and facebook had a, a bad run-in back then and i decided to stay off of it for a while so but. well i completely understand that yeah but you know what you why don't you tell us more about your instagram because i've seen that and that's amazing that's that's a real surprise really that came out of like i fell down a career path that i didn't really i've never believed would happen i mean it's a long story Mate, you know, this is gonna go on. But basically, you know, I spent I've I've like like I said before, I'm forty something years old, which means that I was grew up being told that I couldn't do practical things, you know, or being I told my mate today, I've got a really good uh, one of my besties is the is this guy that I met through a carpentry course that I took a couple of years ago. And um we are we're just like brother and sister that get on not brother and sister like my brother because we don't like each other. Uh, um but <laughs> and I said to him, I've spent my life being told, 
oh, you can't do that. And when I do do it and I get it wrong because it's the first time I've used that drill or it's the first time I've done something, I'm then told, oh, look, see, now let me do it for you, dear. Just give it to the man. The man can do it for you. Why are you even trying? Because that's not your job. Let me do it for you. And some of it's comes from a good place, like genuinely trying to be helpful. Some men feel like they have to do that. That's part of their role as a male. I understand that, you know. Um, and, and some people genuinely... Some men genuinely just think that women are pathetic and useless and can't do those things. Um, but he doesn't. Luckily, he doesn't think like that. He sees me as a complete equal. In fact, um, at some things he thinks that I'm better. But that's generally because he's half my age, so I have a little bit more maturity in the sense when it comes to I've been where you are, losing my shit because something won't get together properly. And I know with carpentry and woodwork, you can't be like that. You've got to take a breath, go through the stages. And when it goes wrong, you start again and you deal with it until you get it right. And you can't, I couldn't have done it 20 years ago. I would have lost my temper. I'd have thrown the hammer through the wall. You know, I just wouldn't, it wouldn't have been a good match for me. But a couple of years ago, it was. And it was right at the right time. And I went through this process where um, I went through this course um, and I learned a new skill. And I was chatting to one of the younger ones that were there. Most of the people on the course were half my age. Um, I was at quite a low end. I'd been quite depressed for some time. And I'd moved to a new place and I was struggling. I was getting to learn new, new people, but I didn't want to fall back into my old jobs that I'd done in the place that I'd lived before because they were soulless jobs. They were important jobs. Every service job is important, but I wouldn't go pray to whatever that I don't ever have to go back to menial work again or I don't have to go back to waitressing or... Um, or anything like that, because for those, they're thankless jobs. You get no thanks for those jobs. Um, you're the, you're treated like the lowest of the low. And I, I I I honestly have a lot of respect for people that do them jobs and stick those jobs because I'm rubbish at sticking those jobs. So I took myself on another career path, and I started to learn carpentry, and I learned myself some good joinery skills, basic skills, and I got over not my fear, but I took that first step of picking up power tools and actually feeling like I was in that place to learn it so it's okay to get it wrong. And that's one thing about learning carpentry and woodwork is you can't be afraid to get it wrong. You've got to expect to get it wrong. And I often talk about a phrase that I'm probably going to end up putting on a T-shirt because I find myself saying it over and over, that if I'm not making mistakes, I'm not learning. Um so, and it's so true for me for carpentry, it's revealed to me time after time after time when I really feel completely at my wit's end with something and I close the garage door and I walk up the stairs to my apartment and I make myself a cup of tea, which is kind of my routine now that I don't smoke anymore. Um, instead of relieving my stress with a cigarette, I now will go through the process of making a cup of tea, which a lot of time I don't even drink um, ah. now anyway. Um, but it's that process of cooling off cooling my jet and just thinking okay it's not working today but tomorrow it might so i need to instead of saying right that's the end of it i'm never doing carpentry again i'm gonna go and join the circus i now what i do is i take a breath and that's one of the things that carpentry and woodwork has brought to me is this kind of um taking a moment to cover yourself a little and it's a good it's, it's held me a good stead in other areas of my life as well where you just sometimes need to just go Two jets, take a breath, and they go back to it. And nine times out of ten, maybe eight times out of ten, I don't know, I've never counted, but, but it comes good the next day or the next day. You get it. 
eventually you get the result. And the feeling of, of overcoming something, I've, I've done some things on this, um, starting this account with power tools that I never believed that I'd be able to do because I was never given the opportunity, never given the confidence of um, finding that I had some kind of aptitude to it. Um, and my, my best friend bought me the troll saw uh, about a year ago. Uh, it was around about the same time as I started this account, actually. And I started doing these things that I'd never dreamed I could do, make before. Um, I'd seen it on Instagram. I thought it was great. Um, and it kind of, it, the Instagram kind of built from that. It then sort of, I started to get my confidence built up a little bit more. And I've had a few feedbacks that were really good. And the followers kept coming in. And I was like, I have no idea why you guys are following me. But I really like that you are. And I really appreciate the fact that um, you're not here expecting anything that I've already doing because I never offered anything. I never expected to have an audience. So I only ever did it just to kind of, for, my, for myself, it was almost documentation of how I sort of came to where I am now, you know, um, when, it, when it comes to um, working with tools. You know, I never imagined that I would have a garage that was stocked with two sliding mitre uh, chop saws, a, a scroll saw, two routers, uh, multiple sanders, chisels, saws, vices, and various other clamps and various other bits of equipment um, that I'm soon to hopefully um, build on. Um, I never believed I could have those tools, and now I've got them. Now I'm doing stuff with them. Now and people are responding. You know, I'm getting more and more followers every day, and I've no idea how I'm doing it. Um, like I say, I'm really grateful that everyone's following me, and I'm. I've met some amazing people. I really, genuinely, the makers community on Instagram is something I've never experienced. Um, it was it was something I dipped into by accident because I made these phone chairs. We've talked about phone chairs before, I think. Um, but I, I needed a, a stand for my phone because talking to Rachel at least once a day, sometimes more, um, on WhatsApp, I needed something to hold my phone because I was getting dead hand and it just it wasn't working for me. So I built one, and then I started building more and I started painting them. And then I created an Instagram account for it. Um, and the woodwork kind of went in that direction and making more of these um, and and and, in, and exchanging ideas with people. Um, I'm doing a collaboration with an Instagram maker at the moment. Um, He's not asking for any money. We don't even know if we're going to make a project that's going to make money. But we're talking about it and exchanging ideas, and it's amazing. But it's just so loving and nurturing and sharing. I've had, I've got, I don't know how many followers. I think it's over 1,200 now. What? And, yeah, I don't know how that happens. I really don't. But, um, but I'm doing videos now. I do, <laughs> and I hate it because... I mean, I don't like the sound, of this, the sound of my voice. I won't listen to this podcast. Uh, oh, no. Because we talked about this before, because I hate the sound of my own voice, which is ridiculous, I know. But I'm not on my own like that. A lot of people feel that way. But I um, I, I often, I do these stories, you know, like how you do on Instagram, you have these stories. And I, sometimes I'll do them, and I'll, I'll catch myself accidentally because I'm scrolling through it, and it will play. And I hear my, I see myself talking into the screen like how everybody else would view it, and I cringe. Oh, I just shrivel up into the into the corner of the room, just like no, make it stop. So um, yeah, 
I've, I've started doing that and it's brought in more audience. Um, and I'm, I'm, I just gobsmacked not only that people follow me and like me, but that I've met some really genuinely nice people who have been very supportive to me, especially as with my illness, I go, it ebbs and flows. Um, because I have elements of bipolar and I have elements of um, borderline, so I'm, I don't have any defined diagnosis as such. Um, so it means that when you need to maintain a public image, it's very difficult for me to keep consistency. Some people manage to do their stories almost like daily diaries. I have no idea how these people manage to build up the confidence or the, the think about what they're going to say even. And, and they come across so confident and so, you know, with it and just telling me about their day and what they're doing. And some days I just don't, I don't want to even talk. You know, I'm not interested in filming myself doing anything. But Instagram, in a way, kind of encourages you to keep moving forward. So you're kind of, you're putting something up there, even if it's not a video. And it's been really, it's actually ended up being really helpful um with my mental health because I've met other people um you know um who've also got problems with most people have experienced mental health in some way or another um it, it's something that's taken me years not to be ashamed of you know it's a survivor's thing um it's a full-time job by the way um you know uh I've said before you can't take your eyes off this illness so to, to keep up and, main, uh, and maintain a social media presence um, is actually really difficult for me. And those on Instagram that know that, um, any of those that listen to this now know that too, but um, they are they are a little more sympathetic and they'll check in with me. You know, they'll be like, oh, we haven't seen your stories for a couple of days. Everything all right? You know, and I'm, I'm blown away by that. I've had people on Facebook for 10 years who don't do that. You know, and I've been on Instagram for a year and I've already got people checking in on me. So I that just blows me away, really. You know, especially if you don't know anything, you don't know how to do something, you can just message someone and they'll help you. You know, that is, it's genuinely really friendly. And out of all the followers I've got, I've made, maybe had to block maybe four people in total the whole time, um, which I think is a good ratio. I think I've had to block more Facebook people than that. That is a beautiful. I'm... I'm really glad that you've worked really hard on yourself and you've you found this place where you're where you realize that you're starting to blossom, like you're able to to have room to grow. And that's that's kind of what this podcast has done for me, but of course not in not in such a way that it has done for you. And it's just it's so beautiful to hear those stories because a lot of people when they talk about the internet, it's all stranger danger and it's just yeah. there's there's yeah. beautiful people out there. But that that was where I was too. I totally believe that. You know, I thought that you know, I was watching my nieces using Instagram and and um, and uh, Snapchat, and um, this new uh, a newer one, Sahara, and I was like, but this is this could be an unhealthy place for teenagers. I'm so glad I didn't have it when I was a teenager, because it would have been definitely would have been a bad experience, not a good one. Um, but but my my opinion on that has has been um, changed really. So, you know, I was I, I guess I just believed the hype um, and the media that, that it's a bad thing, you know, um, and that it's unhealthy and it's not. Some there are pockets of communities and various platforms that are absolutely healthy and absolutely genuine people. Um, you know, they're not after false 
followers. I'm not like promoting myself like crazy and you know trying to get. It's not about followers for me. It's just never about getting followers. Um, and it still isn't. I'm grateful for all of them, but I can't possibly follow them all back and keep up with them all now. And it's kind of got to a point where when I started, I used to you know check in on everybody that I followed. Um, I follow people and people follow me back now and it's kind of got a life of its own but I guess as long as people still continue to to, to follow me and feel that I've got some kind of relevance in my feed um, then that's that's great they're getting something out of it and, and, and I'll continue with it for as long as I get something out of it because it was only ever started for that purpose you know it was only ever to really sort of show what I was doing you know I wanted to have that image deliberately of a female doing male or occupations, basically. Um, it, it, it's a, it was something that, like I say, throughout my life I was told I couldn't do practical things. Put those tools away, darling, that's not for you, you know? Um, and I'm not a girly girl. I guess in the US I, I would have been a jock because I played a lot of sport and I was quite rough and tumble with the boys. Um, and And kind of nowadays I get told by the younger gay ladies that I'm a, a, a soft butch but I don't even soft know butch. I don't even know because there's like a bazillion labels now and I can't keep up with them all um, the fact that I you're was, a soft butch has told me that Rachel has really gotten to you right <laughs> yeah well yeah she has she's under my skin now uh, <laughs> oh get this right okay uh, I'm not I'm you can air this. I will allow it. Uh, but I'm outing myself. Wait, hold on. I'm glad, I, I'm glad I have your permission. So she took me to have a pedicure. Right? A pedicure? A pedicure. I've never had a pedicure in my life. So she took me to have a pedicure. And it was all right. But I, I, it's a bit weird having someone messing with your feet like that isn't the physio. It's a bit weird. <laughs> like, oh, I never really liked the physio either. I never liked the fact that I had somebody's hands on me that was messing about with me unless it was my lover. You know, I've never been comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> this, having this woman messing with my feet and like, you know, giving my feet a massage and like doing my toes for me was bizarre. But, you know, yeah, it's about the girliest thing I've done in about the last decade, I reckon. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm totally yeah, putting so that yeah. on there. I'm putting it in the air. It's on the record. The internet will never forget it. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. I just uh, outed myself. I'm no longer <laughs> a pedicure virgin. <laughs> so, so tell me about your time in the U.S. Like, I know you just you just came. You just saw her. If you don't want to talk about it because you just left, that's, that's perfectly fine. I, I remember that heartache um, of when you were no, Look, it's not even heartache anymore. It's just, I'm so, like, just, this is just the way it is right now. You know, there's no point in having heartache. She loves me. I love her. We haven't lost each other. We haven't had a bereavement. We haven't split up. We're just apart for now. And we need to keep in that mindset. We've been saying this from the beginning, that a positive attitude towards it has to maintain. We, If we're not both saying that, then one or the other has got to G the other one up and saying it. Because... I can't be susceptible to that kind of depression where I'm thinking, oh my God, I can't be with her. It's pointless. It's endless. I love her. I don't want to be. I can't get into that mindset. I can't allow that to fester. So we, I, I don't feel depressed about talking about my time out there. It was absolutely great. You know, it was lovely. The best part, actually, it's funny because you were saying in that podcast um, before about the, you know, the names that 
but your wife was calling you. It was so nice. It, what was nice for me on this trip was something similar where um, I was at home most days that she came home um, and from work, you know, it's kind of she'd come in and she'd be like, hi, honey, I'm home, you know, that kind of joke and thing. But, and, and we were able to, um, because what, what routine we have when she's not here or I'm not there is that um, on her drive to work in the morning, which turns out usually to be about 11 a.m. my time or 12 a.m., depending on whether the clocks have gone forward or back. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talk for 40 minutes on her way to work. And then we don't see each other on video chat or whatever for the, for the rest of the day until about 9.30 p.m. my time. So it's about 10 hours later that I get to see her face again. Um, but I have to see her face again. And we have this another conversation on her drive home. That way, the reason we did it like that <clears throat> initially was because when she, we first started seeing each other, we couldn't get any privacy. So she used to have to get into her car and go for a drive so that we could have a private conversation because we couldn't have a private conversation at her house at that time. Um, and um, now, when, when I was out there, what, what happened was we didn't have any of that video chat and it was so nice not to suddenly think, oh, what time is it? I need to get on a Wi-Fi signal or I need to sit somewhere and make sure I've got my headphones in because she's going to call in a minute and it's really important. I could just go about my day. <clears throat> a couple of times she came home and I was in the middle of projects. I was building this shelf thing for her or I was doing whatever. She'd come in and I'd be there all sweaty and she'd just be stood there in the doorway looking at me. And I'd be like, oh, she made me jump. But then the nicest way, you know, and I just put my tools down and just, yeah. And it was lovely and having a proper, you know, um, a relationship stuff, just simple stuff that people take uh, for advantage, you know, where they, you're just with, it, with each other, you know, then we say, you know, what we have for dinner, all that little stuff means so much to us, means so much more, because we know it's temporary, we know at some point my visa's going to run out and I have to go home again, and we're going to have to go back to this hour in the morning, hour at night thing, which for me gets very tiring because um, sometimes I, I stay up way later than I'm supposed to and I've got to get up the next day and have a normal day um, and it, it yeah it, the, the time difference does suck there's no no two ways about that if we were in the same same time zone for instance we'd be having dinner at the same time we'd be going to bed at the same time things like that but as it is it's it means that uh, we don't eat meals together and stuff like that. So we eat meals together even. It's just brilliant. You know, we would have a date, but it would be in the house together. You know, so, I mean, as far as America goes, <laughs> America. America. I saw somebody with a hat with America on it the other day, and I won it. Oh, <laughs> my God. Because it's brilliant. Because um, it said with love. Come on, mate. You know, <laughs> I'm in love with America, and I'm no longer an American hater. I've been um, re-educated um, or indoctrinated into a cult. I'm not quite sure which one that is. It's a cult. Trust me. I I work in marketing. It's a cult. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'm in. Whatever. You know. Um. So yeah, it, America is is was very foreign. It is very foreign. It's very different. As your wife will tell you and has told you um the way things work the way that food is the way that yeah the wrong side of the road thing <gasps> and i did drive when i was out there oh my for the God. first time um yeah there is video evidence but now i'm not going to post it um <laughs> <laughs> it's 
because I'm pretty sure I drove like a a granny and just was like gripping the steering wheel as if it, my life depended on it. Um, yeah, I was really scared, but I did it. I did it. So yeah, I um she was she did it when she came over here actually in November. So I had the bar had been raised and I had no choice. How, what so, did she, how did she do? Did she do well? I didn't even get to drive yeah, when I was in England. She did fantastically well, considering I had the upper hand, really, in a way, because our roads were a lot narrower than yours, and you're used to a lot of roads that are, not only are your single lane roads much wider than they need to be for the vehicle size, as are right on the line for that, you know, if you've got these big American SUVs, um, Land Rover, etc., that we, that we have now in our um on our roads, um, they don't cope very well when they're passing each other because they were made, the roads, a lot of the roads were made when cars were much, much littler. <laughs> and oh, there's no way for the roads to be extended in a lot of places, especially where I live. I live on an old island where some of these roads are hundreds of years old and you can't move the pavement suddenly and decide to make it wider just because cars have got bigger. Um, but so, yeah, she did very well considering that because she drove around some small roads, small side roads. Whereas I drove kind of a couple of side roads, which again, like I say, are wider, thankfully. And I then went <clears throat> onto a little bit of a highway and then came off again. That was nerve-wracking. I think that was the most nerve-wracking was the junctions. So when you're coming, uh, you know, exits, when you're coming on and off things, that was the most scary bit for me. And the whole turning right on a red light just didn't feel natural. Tell so, me about it. That That was the funniest thing when she was learning to drive here was the the turning right on, on the light and then also stop signs because yeah. there's not really any stop signs in England and it was so funny well, there because are, we, but we were driving just, oh no we have them but they're just not like a they're not um, in small they're, they're not in small towns <laughs> all right well, well no we, we have them but we tend we have a lot more um we, sometimes they just say give way so you'll have like a four point junction and it will just say give way and that basically means you give way to the right oh it's a yield so if somebody's on the yeah so, so it's like a what you call a traffic circle or what she calls a traffic circle we call them roundabouts and mm -hmm. you, you come through a roundabout and someone's in the lane to your right you give way to them they have the right of way um and sometimes you have this thing where you have a standoff because people arrive all at the same time at each and you're all giving way to the right so you all kind of look at each other and go technically we've all got the right of way here Who's going to move first? <laughs> and you have this standoff of these little, you know, looking at each other. Although I did have someone throw me the V today because I didn't let her out. Um, oh, you don't know what that means. Um, she stuck her fingers up at me because I didn't let her out at the roundabout because it was technically she with her right away. Well, no, because flipping you off with the finger, she stuck two fingers, we stick two fingers up. Sometimes. I'm pretty sure that's a obscure reference that I don't understand. Um, I'm sure it's not nice. When you what what you don't yeah you have this when you make a V out of your first two fingers. Say that again. You make a V out of your first two fingers and stick them up at someone instead of your finger, yeah. Um. Well, we're saying that I think that has a different connotation here because when you're doing that, usually yeah. there's a tongue that goes in between those two fingers. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, that's the. Okay, all right. Well, that's the really dirty version, but we just we just throw the V most of the time. It's that's like right. Kind of, it's not as it's not as intense as as flipping the bird, which is really with with salt. Like, screw you. 
um, <coughs> sticking so fingers just, up. It's kind of like, ah, oh, whatever. <laughs> so it's just so, yeah. like, if I saw that here, though, I would think that you're literally just throwing, like, you're a badge at, pe at people. <laughs> yeah, like, that's kind no, of what that sounds like I to know, me. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. I know it doesn't translate. But then we know, don't we, that um, a lot of things don't translate. I found that actually I was glad I didn't do more driving because um, I am quite, I do get road rage. Where I get, I get it here, I don't know if I would ever get it in America because I'm just scared of getting shot at lights or something. I mean, it's, um, it's pretty scary. I, I pulled up the stops where the person beside me, like she got honked at and she straight up started screaming at the mirror in her car. And I was just like, oh God. And I've seen people get out of their car and just like scream at people. And it's like... You're in yeah, they do that like, here. Just go. <laughs> yeah, they do that here. I've had someone tell one of the stories I tell quite often is to be careful who you flip off because I had somebody um, who thought I'd cut them off, um, and they were rode my tail all the way to my turning. And when I took my turning, I flipped her off as I turned. She turned around and drove after me. When I arrived at my destination, which was my home, and got out of my vehicle, I found her screaming in my face at me. But I'd stuck my finger up at her, and how dare I? Ra 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 ra. She stopped traffic. She literally parked her car right next to mine where I'd pulled up and got out and was accosting me. Um, I'd opened the car door because I was about to get out because I hadn't seen her. Um, and she said, "Oh, you stuck your finger up at me!" Ra ra ra. And I went, "So you're telling me you turned your car round and then zoomed round after me and then now chased me home because I stuck my finger up at you?" And she went, "Yeah." And I went. Well, here it is again. What are you going to do now? Uh, <laughs> and she just went, uh, 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 bleh. and then, then came all the personal insults. So suddenly I was an effing lesbian, and look at the state of me and how I dress, and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wait, wait, what? What? Now we're talking about each other, but well, I don't even know you. You don't know me. What are you talking about? And her boyfriend at this point was going, Get in the car. Just stop it. Just get in the car. Let's go. Come on. Oh he was God. so embarrassed at, at what she'd done. Um, and she was just, she resorted to the usual, you know, effing lesbian, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, well, not currently, but <laughs> I am active, you know, um, <laughs> but that's none of it. Um, they, people just don't, uh, uh, just lose their, their temper over here and just go for it because there's no, I'm going to get shot by the person that I'm accosting. You know, the worst that could have happened to her is I could have got out with a baseball bat or something, or possibly a knife or whatever, um, which, you know, if I'd lived in London, I don't think, yeah, you just don't, I don't, didn't do as much when I lived in London, because London's a bit more of a dangerous place. But um, where I was living at the time wasn't too bad, so I thought, you know, I didn't think when I flipped her off, I should have thought maybe this person could be dangerous and come after me, but we don't here, because generally we feel a little bit more, like we're not going to get attacked. But when I was in America, I felt I saw more guns on this last six weeks than I'd seen in the last six years. So not surprised by the information. When I when I'm at home, I will say my piece. When I'm in America, I'm quiet. I, I mean, you <laughs> also don't want to get hurt here because it's like freaking you'll be paying the hospital bill for that forever. Like the well, healthcare yeah. here is awful. Yeah. So there's but, just so many differences between cultures yeah, like not even are. not only politically oh my no, god no it's not i mean there's loads of things but the, uh, I, I you know you remember earlier i said to you oh, I, I listened to your podcast and i made some notes but i'll tell you what i made a note about 
interesting as we're talking about the differences between, uh, you know, Englander things. I think, I forget, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember who it was you were talking to, but she was talking about um, accents, and she was saying that she was a collector of accents. I'm sorry, I apologise, I can't remember your name. Um, but um, she did a reasonable West Country accent and said that she enjoyed that accent because it was the mo accent that was most like, probably most like what Shakespeare sounded like. And um, and you said, you said, oh, it sounds a little bit like Cockney. No, mate. No, I said, don't quote me no, on no, that. No, I said it literally afterwards. <laughs> I said, don't quote me on that. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you, did you did do a disclaimer. Fair play, mate. You did do a disclaimer. But um, yeah, her West Country accent, just so you know, if you're listening, I'm apologize. I don't remember your name, but your West Country accent was pretty damn good. Actually. She will be so, very yeah. happy to hear this. Take I will it, take her, her virtual bow, my friend. Um, but um, yeah, and you you were chatting about um, the, uh, the, the 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 accents and things, and that the I'm a little bit London because I was I was born in South London and um, more or less raised in South London, but I have a kind of a wandering accent. So when I live somewhere where they have a very broad um, accent, like the West Country, where they all talk like this, my lovers, it's all I'll I'll be my queen bee. You're right, my lover. Hmm? How you be? How you be? How, where, where's he too? Where's where's he too? And, and you, you, the first year I lived there, I thought they were talking another language. Mm. I was like, "What are you talking about?" And I have a very good friend there who I've been friends with for about fifteen years now, and she educated me. She used to send me texts and just go, "No, mate, it means this. <laughs> this is what we mean. Sorry." Um, and uh, it it. it I, I eventually learned it, and I, I eventually, I, sometimes I do sound a little bit, I do say a few things, like, uh, I might say my love, I call people my love sometimes, which is something my dad hates, because he's like, I'm not, you know, when someone calls it, it them, him their love, he's like, I'm not your love, I've got my wife at home, you know, he gets all silly about it, but <laughs> just being friendly, mate, you know, and like, my, my niece finds it hilarious that I call everyone mate, and I say, well, I only call mates people I like, you know, so if I'm saying all right, mate, to you, then it means I like you, you know, because um, I certainly don't say it to someone I don't like, um, but yeah, so um, that, that was the thing that I made the note on, that and the fact that you love bargain hunt shoes. Oh, I must love it. Bargain hunt, come on now, I've got the theme tune in my head now from bargain hunt. Ah. Joe, what we used to say about bargain hunt is that the only people who watched bargain hunt were either retirees, so geriatric, <sighs> Or the unemployed, because it was on in the middle of the day, around two o'clock in the afternoon, when no one else could see it, because we was all well working. <laughs> I mean, so, when we started watching it, she would constantly talk about how her gran was the was the person who would always watch it when she like came home from school and stuff, like yeah, her, so she, like when yeah, she like exactly. came to visit. Exactly. So she's got a uh, you know good memory attached to it because her granny watched it. I'm pretty sure I watched it when I was unemployed, um, just because it was on. You know, and I'm a team sport thing, so I pick blue or red, and I just go for one of them, and I want them to win. It doesn't matter what they've found to sell, but um, I haven't watched it for years, so I don't have time. Television-wise, I I'm, have to be very selective because I have very little um, time left. What with international relationships to maintain, and this Instagram profile, which uh, sometimes I feel like I need to put more into than I am. Um, but I'm I'm grateful people just hang around, wait for the next whatever post I put randomness. 
Um, but the TV, that I, I was interesting, you were talking about, um, you've, you've got into um, Winona Earth, haven't you? And, oh, I was um, literally about to talk about that. That's literally the yeah, I, I, I know you're about it. I know, no, like if you're if your latest thing, I know I've been following you. I know I've been watching you just totally get sucked down into a vortex of wine over. Yeah, but anyway, it's fine. It's a friendly vortex. They're very nice fans, and um, and they have uh, some fantastic opinions on these relationships and stuff. And it's it's lovely um, that there is so much um, queer TV to have fans with now. It's just I love it, you know, and I I love. Um, watching these things, it's interesting that somebody else made the same. It's the same person I'm thinking of. Um, I think she made the same reference that I'm about to make about Buffy the Vampire, and how um, in that the, the storyline in there with Willow was one of the storylines that us as a gay community living in South London at the time were just like, yes, hallelujah, bring it on the telly, just bring it on, you know, put it on our box for crying out loud, because back then you had a limited amount of channels still, only those people that had like disposable cash enough to get satellite dishes could get more channels than the bases. So um, to have like these, these American shows coming in with these other characters, these gay characters was amazing, it was brilliant, because it needed to be done. The likes of Ellen did an amazing thing um, and, and started changing the world for us. That you talked about, um, I mean, t- TV in general, for me, like I say, is, a, is, a, is something that I have to be very selective about. But I'm very, I am a TV addict, and I have roughly 80 shows that I follow on a regular. Mm. But I have to dip out of them, and I don't actually watch much TV as it streams, uh, as it's uh, broadcast. I have to watch it through streams because I have to pick up, and then I'll watch like a five episodes of shows during that day. But it'll be a different episode, different show each time because I'm trying to catch up um, and it, it's mainly because I'm, I'm enjoying whatever female characters are in most of those they're not all gay um, some of them are just characters I enjoy um, but maybe I wish were gay probably because I spent a lot of my time doing that um, when there was no gay characters on the TV um, and you're looking at like TV show like Friends for instance that I grew up watching um, and a lot of the jokes were hilarious but where's the gay character the gay character is kind of a side note who's married to who was Ross's girlfriend, you know, and she went off and had a baby, his baby, with her girlfriend, you know, and that was it, really. There wasn't that, that one of those people should have been a screaming queen. Yeah, it's New York. What are you talking about? You know, and it didn't make that it, it was never seen to be uh, proportionally representative. It still isn't, um, and certainly when I was growing up, there certainly wasn't that. Um, I'm going off on a tangent now, but we, no, when this I is, this is good. This is actually what I want to hear because I I didn't really think about it because I I talked to someone from Argentina where she talked about the you know Argentina's been actually really great about having gay characters on their television, but it's still like what shows went to her where it sounds like it's the same shows that went to you because it was friends, it was the nanny, yeah. it was it was these kind of things. I don't know if she ever watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but that's kind of interesting because I didn't consider what was the like what was the first character that you saw on TV over there? I'm not sure. I, I, I don't think I really remember that there was an American gay sh- uh, character, but certainly the first couple that I distinctly remember even to this day was we had a gay character 
on a slope. We have a slope here called EastEnders, which is, as you would imagine, about EastEnders. So they are about, about people that live in East London. It's about a square community. And it's a soap opera, so it's on a couple of times a week for half an hour, and you dip in and out of it, and you get to know the characters and the families and all their escapades, which sometimes are rather far-fetched, but that's Soapland, right? Mm -hmm. But what they also used to like doing, being that it's the BBC, others have since followed suit, is to do these episodes where they have a, 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 a representation of either media or the environment. So they'll have, they'll make sure that they have a Pakistani family because that's representation. They'll have a um, Afro-Caribbean family. They will have um, possibly nowadays they'll have a gay character. They'll have um, you know, a, and then they go into the storyline. So they'll have a storyline that reflects. Currently, we have, for instance, this. What I've missed since I've been away is that one of the main characters has been killed off in a stabbing incident. He was a young teenager, and there's an epidemic of stabbings at the moment. We're going through a bad patch. It's happened before. We'll get through this one again. It's not the way that it's depicted in the media. London is not under siege, but there is a nice issue. It's welled up again. It will come back down again, and the numbers will drop again when people start realising they're going to die with these sort of things in their hands. Um, and also, uh, the law's been changed. I think there is now a law where you are, if you are present, you are a co-defendant. Whether you knew that knife was in that it's going to be used in a crime, whether you even knew your mate had a knife, um, you are a co-defendant if you were there, and that's starting to have an effect where people are going, well, I'm not going to associate with people who have knives then. That, that had an effect for a while, now it's building up again. So we've had this character, so they like to reflect things, and back in the 80s, with the AIDS crisis, we were having things, leaflets put through the door of a great big coffin saying, don't be next, you know, and I, I think I was uh, quite an impressionable, I think I was around sort of 10, 12, something like that, and they had a gay character on EastEnders, and it was amazing. They had the first gay kiss, I think, in, in British BBC history, in a soap at least, um, and it was a brilliant, and it was two guys, one of which um, was, I don't know if they were both HIV positive, but one of which was HIV positive, and it, so they were getting it on twofold. They were getting the gay vote, and they were getting the HIV message out there, that it's this is this this is happening. You can't you, you know, um, and they give them opportunity to educate people as understanding that it wasn't the gay disease. You know, they used the gay door in to talk about HIV, but who gives a shit? They were talking about it, and it needed to be talked about because the things that were going around. I remember I was ten or eleven when this was happening, but things that we were talking about as children because of these leaflets and press things that we were seeing was that it was a gay disease. You know, we were being told that it was to do with gay men. And I'm there as a 10-year-old, looking back now, having crushes on girls and not really knowing what that meant. Um, and slightly maybe thinking maybe I'm supposed to be a boy, not knowing what that meant either, because there was no such word as trans when I was 10, um, in my world anyway. Um, and so seeing this was amazing and brilliant. And then not long after that, it was followed by a les the first ever lesbian kiss, which was on a brand new channel um, called Channel 4. And they aired this lesbian kiss on a show called Brookside, where a slightly older lesbian and a younger lesbian had this brilliant, passionate, real, believable kiss and then believable relationship affair. But they were always doomed, as they still are now. You know, the gay character always is going to die. Oh, crap, she's gay. She's going to... No. Just a matter of time. You know, first with interest, 
just saying. Oh, you. no. Um, and, you know, <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, but, but those were the first ones, and they were the ones that, that anyone of, you know, who was born in the late 70s and grew up in the 80s will remember those in England because they were a big deal. Whether you were gay or not, they were a big deal. Because what you've like got to remember is that I, I as a, as a, as a just on from that, when I was, say, 11, I, we, we, I, we, go, we have school systems different, right? So you've got um, elementary, middle school, and then high school, right? Um, we've got, we did used to have middle schools, but at the time when I went to school, I didn't go to middle school. I had a, a primary education up until age of 11, and then I went to a high school, which is where I was supposed to stay until I was 18. But you have the option to leave at 16 if you're not going into further education, if you're going to go and get a job or whatever, they allow you to do that um, from there or you go to college. Um, so at the age of 11, I suddenly had this culture shock. I had these culture images of AIDS and HIV was going to kill every gay on the planet. So I was scared about that. But I was, thought I was okay because apparently lesbians couldn't get it. Um, and then I had these two really positive images coming up on the TV. But to me, they were positive images. But what was said around me about them was negative. Because I grew up where it was rather conservative. And one of the biggest, the first insults that would be thrown at anybody would be homosexuality. So before you told someone they were fat or stupid, you told them they were gay. And that was like the first insult you threw. Um, and it, I mean, it sounds really petty and childish now, you know, oh, you're so gay. But yeah, but at the time, that was a weapon. That was said with such malice and fury and, and hate that you didn't want to be that. So I, at the age of 11, I, not only did I have all those things and then I wasn't really sure if I wanted to be this lesbian thing, if this was a lesbian thing, like, is that, is that what, is, what is a lesbian? What do they do? Like, who are they? And then I went to an all-girls school and I suddenly found out what a lesbian was. <laughs> So, um, and not because um, I had it explained or that I, you know, explored more what what being gay was, but because I was stuck in an all-girls school with over a thousand students, and suddenly I was, I felt like, no, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, she's hot, she's not, she's hot, she's not. <laughs> and, and, the, and the biggest so it's like, I shit, I know I'm gay. I'm gay. Oh no. Oh crap. I'm gay. So I didn't want to be that visible. I did. I desperately didn't want to be. Oh, it was bad enough I was divorcing child because that wasn't as big as big as it is now. I was, and I had a foreign sounding surname because I have a an Iraqi surname. I'm not Iraqi. My grandfather was Iraqi. My father was born in this country, but. Um, it sounds funny. So I already stuck out. And I was kind of butchy looking. And I was kind of like what you would call kind of emo-ish. Because I had, like, I'd always wear, like, really baggy clothing to hide my figure. Because I was really embarrassed about my figure. Because I had really quite large breasts and hips and looked quite feminine. And I didn't want to be feminine. Desperately didn't want to be feminine. Because I didn't think I was supposed to be feminine. But also I was very sporty. So it kind of... Boobs get in the way <laughs> of football, of, of you know, of hockey, of running. Um, so I didn't like. Some, I had a bit of body image, and um, and I was at this all girls school, and I it was it was a nightmare, quite honestly. Um, but it was <clears throat> we only had 
um, a few of these gay um, um, examples on TV, and as I say, they were talked about in a negative connotation most of the, for most of the people around me. And the only outlet I could find was a magazine, and it was a magazine called Diva Magazine, which anybody who's English will know of, and possibly even globally now, because they are huge. They've been going for a hell of a long time. Um, and um, I actually, back before mobile phones, we used to do this weird thing where you'd write to somebody at a P.O. box. So they had these adverts in the back of this magazine. And it would literally be like a few words, like uh, you had to work out the acronyms. You didn't know what, you know, butch, whatever was or whatever. And then you'd write a letter to them. And I lied about my age and I wrote a couple of letters to these ladies, like just to have some kind of correspondence. Um, and um, that was the only outlet I had <laughs> at that time. Um, and um, it was very difficult as a teenager having beards, basically. Um, you know, I feel, I wonder about these boys that were my beards back then, like what they did, like what, how do they reflect on their teenage years? Like, oh yeah, my first girlfriend's a lesbian now, <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> I, I really, like, I feel for them, like, you know, because, yeah, that was, that was weird, um, as I can't imagine myself with a man at all, um, now, um, but yeah, so that, it was, it was a, it was a kind of a shock to the system being in an all-girls school, and, um, being in a kind of, um, a, a place with, with, with quite a homophobic mother and uh, grandparents as well, that where they came from, it's just their thing. I don't blame them for it. It's environmental and ignorant, you know. But um, it it meant that I was very. I kept everything to myself, and I didn't truly, really come out. Um, I had secret relationships with women. Um, well, I think they were secret. I don't know. They were secret. Whether it was blatant at the time, and just people just didn't make a comment about it because they didn't want confrontation or what. I don't know, but. Um, when I was the, I eventually stopped hiding, and I met somebody completely by accident when I was seventeen, um, and we are—that's my best friend now. So we were together for three years, uh, three and a half years, and um, we've now known each other for like twenty years, twenty-seven years. Um, we're the best of friends ever, and she, she is, uh, uh, she was the beginning of me being gay, really, because up till then. I had just been a hot mess. A hot mess. I, you know, I knew I was gay, but I was still messing around with boys just to keep people off my back and stop being a target. You know, it's easier to go out to the pub with a guy on your arm and have no one harass you about why you haven't got a boyfriend because they knew I was gay and they wanted to have that conversation with me, but I didn't want to have it. I, w I wasn't interested in having that conversation because it was too... Uh, I didn't like being in the spotlight. I didn't like the attention. Um, so I did that. And then, you know, like I say, I met um, my best friend and she completely transformed me into the raving lesbian that I am now. I'm going to blame her completely. Um, so, uh, like, <laughs> yeah, hooray! I do blame her for me being a toolbox type, though. That, that <laughs> is That's absolutely her fault. Um, I mean, this woman is, is amazing. I mean, she basically taught me that it was okay. It was possible for women to be engineers for a start and mechanics, but also that it was okay for me to be gay and those things, you know? 
and not to be ashamed of, of my of the skills that you had um, just because it was a strong stereotype that you would be slightly butchy and you would be into fixing cars and you'd be into building stuff, you know, because that was such a strong stereotype. It's okay to embrace those stereotypes sometimes because it's it's a stereotype for a reason sometimes because it's common, you know, it's not necessarily because it's a bad thing, you know, and I, she kind of re-educated me um, about that. In fact, there's a, there's a funny story um, about being... Uh, uh, when we were, cause I met her when I was 17 and she was 20, and I was quite, I'm only five foot one, so I'm not, you know, I've never passed as a man as such, because there's not very many I know that are my size, and I do have, like I say, rather large breasts, so that's kind of hard to hide. But at the time, I was fairly skinny, and, um, and I played a lot of sport and what have you, and I wore a lot of baggy clothes, and a lot of baseball caps to protect TV. And so did she. And we both played soccer. We played soccer for the same team. Anyway, butch girl problems, right? Short hair, okay? So one of the hardest things about having short hair when I was growing up, so hard now, is that you'd have to pay like 30 quid, 30 pounds or more to go to a salon, right? And it'd be a really girly salon, right? So it's a trauma. You're going into an environment where all these girly femmes are looking at you with their nails, their acrylic nails and their high heels and their high maintenance hair and whatever, and you walk in and you want a short back and sides, like, you know, a man's cut, basically. And it, every time it was a trauma, every time. It was never comfortable. And, um, I mean, eventually over time, um, we found a hairdresser that was a friend of someone's mum and she cut our hair for us in her kitchen and there was we got rid of all that and we had, we paid half, you know, we paid a half of being rid of it. But um there was this one time when we decided that we'd kind of play on our butchness a bit because we were constantly being mistaken for boys. Um or we would constantly get sorry for excuse me for I even got it on the plane, would you believe, on the way flying home this trip still. I was like, huh, still got it <laughs> I can still pass as a 15-year-old boy. Nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, suddenly, I'm like, yeah, okay. But, um, yeah, so we basically, we put on our baseball caps. We put on our big bomber jackets, as we had a style then, um, our baggy trousers and our, our sneakers. And we went into the male domain. So you could not go into a barber, a male barber, and, and as a female, and get a cut because they were traditionally male environment they literally if you went in there you were a mother going to pick up a son or you were there to do a delivery or something you weren't there to have a haircut there was a whole process um and we knew that and we were resentful of it because what we were having haircut wise then was basically a man's cut because it was very very short cut at the back and the sides very little on top to mess about with because we did a lot of sport you know we were uh, exercising every day and playing sport a couple of times a week so we were pretty much you know, we needed easy hair, as well as the look, for being, a, you know, the dykes that we were. Um, but, yeah, so this one day we put, we dressed up this way and we looked at each other and we were like, mm, okay, let's do this. So we did. And we stepped into this place and it was really, my heart was in my mouth because I thought, as soon as I speak, they're going to know I'm a girl. Because, I mean, 25 years of cigarettes has made my voice a little bit deeper than it actually is anyway, but it's not that particularly deep, and hers isn't either. But it was quite something, because we were 
kind of shepherded by the older men into the church with a gesture and a grunt, which was five to mm, you want a haircut? Mm, yeah. And then there was a few questions of what do you want this? Do you want this? Mm -hmm. Do you want that? Mm -hmm. it, we got away with it. Shrug, not really sure what you're saying, looking at you, not really sure, kind of shrugging the shoulders. We got away with that. That was enough. That was enough to sit in that chair, have him talk at us, have the haircut, pay our $10 or £10, and walk out. I tell you what, there was the biggest rush ever. It was the <laughs> That I was something, I think I was 23 at the time. I might have been a little bit younger, I might have been 22, 21. But she was 24 or something. She's three years older than me. We couldn't believe, we went back to our football team and we told our football team what we'd done. And they were like, no way, no way. Because they know us as girls, you know, they've seen us in the changing room. They know we, we have female bodies. But it was baggy clothes on and the right attitude. You can pass as a 15-year-old boy, apparently, in London. And get a haircut in the barbers, um, but yeah, that that hairstyle thing was something that. Um, luckily, now I don't even deal with it. I've found another hairdresser that cuts in our own home, and he's actually really good friends with my parents, so she's always known that I'm I'm gay. But I did, I don't have a problem. I would go in a salon, a female salon. Now I don't have a problem asking for what I want because you're there to cut my hair the way I want and not looking at you. Or I'll take my money elsewhere, you know. So it's not a problem for me now but back then it really was because it's not that you would have received prejudice necessarily for asking for a male cut but they never really would understand why you would want to be cut that way you know what they don't well don't you want me to layer your hair a little bit maybe put a little bit of color in or a bit of this no what well, well don't you no i want it so i can get out the shower brush my brush my comb through it and then go I don't want to spend three hours putting products in my hair, funnily enough. You know, and that if that makes me butch, then I'm butch. You know, I embrace that. But yeah, so haircuts, yeah, butch girl problems. That's <laughs> hilarious. That's hilarious. I, I love stories like that. That's actually anecdotes are my crack. I, I love stories like that. Maybe you should wrap it up a little bit. Um, you've Just certainly got plenty of material there to stitch together anyway um, i'm so happy to be able to have like talk to you who knows yeah. maybe we'll have conversations i'm gonna require after we hang up a confirmation text that we ain't gonna have to have this conversation again and that it did actually before <laughs> because you know yes <laughs> it but i'm playing the odds here babe you know we've done this a few times me and you and um, every time I've got this sorrowful, apologetic message going, Kath, you're not going to believe it, but it didn't work again. Oh, my no, God. No, I promise you it's going to work, or I swear to God, I'll never speak to you again. No, I know you've, I've, you've had several successes now anyway, so I'm kind of confident that this one will be one of those. And um, I do really enjoy your podcast. They have been really entertaining, and I do I'm love so the way that you know your, um, your interview technique. It's very refreshing. Um, and you're winging it. It's fine. You, you're smashing it. It's great. It sounds cool. Um, I'm enjoying it. So, you know, you've got one fan. So there you go. That's one. It all starts with one. one. <laughs> yeah. Well, look at me. I've got, have I got 1,200 followers? I just talk shit, basically. 
You know, you talk and I mess tools. about new tools. You talk and, tools. Uh, and, uh, do, you, do you follow me on Instagram? I don't even know. I do. I hardly, I hardly go on Instagram anymore. It's a sad story, but I do see your posts every once in a while, and I'm like, you go. Like I'm like, like I'm like, see, hey, in the background waving a flag, like you go. Yeah, but you gotta watch my stories because sometimes I need to. I need to watch your stories. I need to feel the empowerment they have of women with tools. Yeah, right. I'm doing the gay thing. Come on, man. You've got to come <laughs> solidarity and all that. You know. I'm doing the, 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 what is it I called it, the toolbox dyke thing, you all know? Right, all right, I'm, so, I'm doing it now. I'm not brilliant by any means. I just want a disclaimer here where I say I'm not a master craftsman. I'm not a woodworker. As I am a woodworker because I work with wood, but I'm not brilliant at the work that I do. I'm learning all the time, and I'm enjoying what I'm doing more than anything else. That is the most important part of what I do at One Girl and Her Tools. And if you did come over and have a look at my Instagram feed, it's completely open. It's not a private account. And um, and I really, I will respond to most messages as long as they're clean and you're not trying to be weird with me. Um, I mean, I have a quite a high bar for weird. If you've met a girlfriend, you'd understand that. <laughs> uh... But I love a weirdo, you know, who doesn't love a, a strange person. But, um, yeah, so I, I'm not, a, a, you know, a, an engineer or anything or a, a carpenter as such. I restrain myself from calling myself a carpenter because although I use a lot of carpentry tools, I don't really... I'm not as good as a lot of people on Instagram, but I have fun with it. And most importantly, I don't often talk about, well, one, one thing I wanted to say to you about you doing um, this podcast and, 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 and underlining the gay part of my personality. And it's the re one of the reasons why I did this, because on my Instagram, it's not very apparent that I'm gay. It's blatantly obvious to me because I look like a stereotype. I act like a stereotype. I can't help it. I'm just being me. Yeah, a stereotype is built around me. Um, but... I don't often talk about being gay. I don't often talk about my personal life. I don't often talk about my girlfriend simply because my Instagram profile was mainly about me exploring my woodwork side of myself, being that it's fairly new. Um, so I have been asked why I don't have my girlfriend on there more often, why I don't post pictures of each other and stuff. I don't do that on my Facebook either. I just, our relationship is our relationship. I don't feel the need to telegraph every single waking moment of our relationship on Facebook, not dissing anybody that does or on Instagram. I'm sure a lot of people are very proud of each thing that they do with their partners. I don't feel the need to do that. I don't necessarily feel comfortable doing that. So my Instagram is gay friendly. It, it is a lesbian. I am a lesbian. I'm quite happy to say that. And, but I just don't include it all the time on my instagram because it's more about things and stuff that happen to me during my day other than being gay does that make sense so it's kind of my sport a little bit of my family but mainly my activities with tools you know i mean not ever there is no one out there that's 100 percent gay that is the beauty of being gay it's a facet of our life but it's not completely our life it's no one that's 100 percent yeah. either. it's not all about sex is it no it's not it's just it's just our experience, like people think out there, it's just about sex and they get frustrated because we're like rubbing it in their face. But when you think about it deep down, it's no longer that. What connects us a lot is our experiences that we have. It's like, yeah. it's the common, like, even though me and you are on literally almost different sides of the world, I have had some experience, even, there's even a generational gap there. I have had some of the experiences that you yeah. have had and that helps me connect me to you. Yeah. And that's the beauty yeah. and I mean, we are in the same club because we both um, are, are homosexuals. <laughs> but, you know, I, yeah, that word, <laughs> I hate that word. It's like, 
you know, transatlantic yeah. lovers, baby. Gays. We're the gays. We, we are, are the, the gays. gays. <laughs> we're also <laughs> the gays. But you know, but we're also women. We're also, you know, um, we're we're women who love women. We've had those experiences. You know, we're also fairly new to these particular um, media. Um, social media um, platforms that we're using to talk to strangers and be quite open about who we are. You know, you're out there, um, you know, waving the gay flag, trying to get people to talk about their gay experiences and their gay parts of their lives. And, and more credit to you and more people should be doing that. Um, and I'm quite happy to support that and get involved with that. I don't feel the need to do that on my page because it's being done elsewhere quite well, thank you very much, you know. And I'll do the cool stuff. Like, you leave the routers alone and I'll, I won't be, you know, trying to forward the gay movement because I will do that with my own presence and with my own opinions and art and, you know, in my own world. But as far as the media thing goes, you're rocking it, Bill. You know, you keep doing those interviews, you keep building that database of different people's opinions and, and, and experiences because they are valuable to other people that listen to them. They are important. You know, when I was listening to some of your podcasts and I hopefully when people listen to this one, They'll pick out things that they recognise, just the same way as I picked the slim pickings in the media when I was younger and unsure, or um, or, or, or a fledgling lesbian, you know, and, and and not and needing reassurance and role models and positive impact uh, impressions, and, and hopefully we're doing something to help the next lot feel a little bit more confident about being who they are, and that it doesn't have to be all you are. Exactly. Whoops, my phone just went across the room. I was very passionate about that. I was like, yes, that's it. Oh, it threw itself to the floor. Shut up. <laughs> I mean, I, anyway, tell people where they can find you because I just went through your Instagram and turned on the notification so I can watch your freaking stories now and have no excuses at all. Uh. <laughs> well, I better keep up my stories then. Yeah, I'm uh, one girl and her tools on Instagram. Like I say, it's an open profile. I'm also girl and her tools on Twitter. Although Twitter, I don't tend to be on there very often, mainly because I work in Twitter, not for Twitter, but I, it's part of my job. It's parallel to what I do with tools. I also run a couple of social media accounts. So being on Twitter for pleasure is kind of like working. So that's why Instagram's where I do most of my stuff. Um, and yeah. Message me, come and watch my crazy life. Go for it. I, my favorite social media platform now is Instagram because of the people that I found there with the gay community and with the maker community. They are so good with each other um, and so good to me. And um, if any of my Instagram followers are listening to this podcast, um, I appreciate every single one of you. Um, and I'm sorry if I can't follow all of you, but there are so many of you. There isn't enough time in the day physically, but know that I appreciate you all because without that support, um, I think my Instagram would just literally be my blog. I do have a blog, believe it or not, but I don't publicize it because it's for me. Um, occasionally, people, I get followers, which are usually bots, but I have a blog that I just do for myself because it's important for me to feel like I've got a space that I can air. And if someone happens to read what I've written, Okay. I stand by everything I say because I've not said anything to you now I wouldn't say publicly. Anyway, thank you. Yeah, thank you for chatting. I do always enjoy talking to you, mate. And um, anytime you, I will check back in with you and I'd love to do another podcast in the future. Maybe a little, you know, recap on how things are going with this 
So thank you, thank you so much. I will. Yeah, thanks, mate. It's been lovely. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. I, I promise I won't message you to tell you it's all gone. I promise. Oh well, if you do, I won't be surprised. No. <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah. All right. All right, mate. Take care, then, yeah? And yeah. Um, I'll speak to you soon. Bye. All right, bye.